Welcome to episode 85 of Crack the Customer Code, where we hopefully provide good service to you, our loyal listeners. I'm Jeannie Walters, and I'm here with the original customer service savant, Adam Toporek. Woo, I made it to savant. Very nice. <laughs> so we have a cool topic today because it's all about worst case scenarios and Sort of, are you prepared for your customer experience, worst case scenario? And you know this is a topic near and dear to my doomsday prepper heart. I do know this about you. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to the worst case scenarios, tell us how you can make best case scenarios with your services at 360connects.com. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Well, we ask our clients a lot, do you know what your customer experience mission is, and often they don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> and so our mission at 360 Connects is to create fewer ruined days for customers. And that means we help our clients with workshops to create their own missions and deliver more for their customers. You can find out about our half day to clarity workshops at 360connects.com slash speaking. That's 360connext.com slash speaking. And if you'd like to reach our specialized audience of customer service and customer experience leaders by being a show sponsor, you can. Go to crackthecustomercode.com slash sponsor for full details. So, Adam, I'm kind of excited to discuss this with you because I know that right now you are broadcasting from a bunker at a, <laughs> in an undisclosed location because you are prepared for the worst. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And, you know, a lot of times we talk here about organizations that have been recognized for a lot of great things. And this conversation started because of some organizations being recognized for not so great things. And what it really comes down to is the fact that they just simply weren't ready for when things go really, really wrong. And I think there, there are some great examples that we can all learn from uh, to really prepare for those worst case scenarios. Maybe not to the extent of having a bunker, <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> well, you know, it's we talk a lot about the reasons for things on this podcast. We talk a lot about why did it go wrong? Where did the customer experience fail? And we usually look at the first half or, you know, the, the beginning and middle of the customer experience failure. Here's the thing, especially the larger the organization, the more you are, it is going to happen. Somebody is mm -hmm. going to screw up. If you have 50,000 employees, somebody's going to lay a big egg somewhere one day, <laughs> right? So it's going to happen. And what this episode is about is what do you do? How do you prepare for the worst case scenarios and the inevitability that somebody is going to screw up in your organization mm -hmm. or your organization is going to screw up just somehow, whatever, your, your system didn't intersect well with this experience. And how do you prepare for that? Well, and I think this whole thing was sparked because uh, over the holidays in 2015, there was a guy in Canada who ordered something for as a gift for his dad got an email saying it was canceled, so he called customer service to find out what was going on. And he called the number, and it was for Tiger Direct Canada, and he started live tweeting his experience of being on hold, and he ended up on hold for more than eight hours. And the only reason it ended at eight hours is because his iPhone dropped the call after eight hours. <laughs> and the live tweeting was so hilarious, though, because... He was just this ordinary guy, and he started tweeting things like, you know, how many times he had to go to the bathroom while he was still on hold. He had his own hashtag going while on hold. 
he uh, biked home <laughs> and uh, still said, like, still on hold. He made himself a pizza and he took a picture of the pizza before he ate it and said, I just made myself a pizza, still on hold. Then he ate the whole pizza <laughs> and he took a picture of the empty plate and said, I just ate a pizza. I'm still on hold. And that was towards the end of the saga. And he was, you know, tagging Tiger Direct Canada in his tweets and getting no response at all. And so it was just becoming this like farce of an experience. So it was it it really struck me as something that, you know, they probably had no idea this was happening. And they later admitted that they have no idea how this happened. And what happens if you have somebody like this? And they actually did respond to him after and um, they called to apologize five days after his live tweeting session, which seems like a long time to me. If you're not aware that this is becoming a thing, it made it to BuzzFeed. <laughs> I mean, this is not a minor event. Uh, so he tell he told BuzzFeed Canada that what he heard from them from Tiger Direct Canada was that they were basically completely puzzled about how this happened. They had no idea why he would end up on hold for so long. And they also acknowledged that no amount of saying sorry could make up for our mistake, although they are Canada, so they probably said sorry. But <laughs> uh, and then they also shipped him the product he was waiting for for free. So they they tried to remedy the situation a little bit. But it just goes to show you that there are so many times when we think we have our systems and our processes in place and one guy can slip through the cracks or one thing can happen and suddenly it's doomsday. It is doomsday. Nice word. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because they, one, don't know either that or won't admit, you know, they didn't tell him uh, right. what, what happened. You know, how did he get caught? Because most obviously any kind of big company with call centers like that, they have services. They know exactly who's on hold for how long. And, you know, that's all monitored. So yeah. how does somebody where, where does he get in the queue that you know somebody looks over and sees, hey, this guy's been on for seven hours. <laughs> they think they're <laughs> talking to somebody else. <laughs> so maybe they're talking to that guy that used to work at Zappos and they're <laughs> doing his kids homework. Who knows? <laughs> Well, and I think the one of the funniest parts that I left out was that at the very end of his saga, he was done with his pizza and he said, I'm still hungry. So he started crowdsourcing, crowdfunding for another pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually got some contributions before it ended. So it just shows how many people were really paying attention and invested in this experience. <laughs> right. And that's, you know, you can talk about the social monitoring when they discovered it. And maybe it did, obviously, if it was five days, they possibly didn't discover it till it really went viral. Yep. And you yep. started to get traction. So it's interesting. So how do you prepare? If you are the leader, if you are the CEO or the CCO or whatever job would have probably gotten this in that organization, how do you prepare for that? Because, you know, this is going to happen sooner or later. If it's not this, something else is going to happen. Yep. It just always does. I've been in retail and I can't tell you how many times, uh, you know, I've gotten a report from my manager and said somebody that works for us said that. <laughs> really? <laughs> you sure? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just happens and it's going to. So one of the things I think that's important with preparing for worst case scenarios is having a rapid response mechanism. Mm -hmm. In other words, mm -hmm. and part of that's a PR thing. So, and I'm not talking about that side of it. So let's just talk about the customer and the customer experience side and handling the customer because the PR adds a whole nother dimension that's a little... Yep you know, in other people's wheelhouse. But you still want to have a rapid response for the customer. You still want to have the ability to get that information to, 
<coughs> excuse me, to the right people, and then be able to act on that information and close the loop as quickly as possible. Because time does not heal all customer experience wounds, okay? <laughs> time yeah, makes customer experience wounds worse. And I think the rapid response mechanism is one thing that's very important. And I'm not talking about having a SWAT team ready, but at least having <laughs> some systems for like, serious customer experience situations. In a small business, it's sort of easy, get the manager, get the owner. Right. But in a large organization, it gets a lot trickier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're, well, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think part of that is understanding where those flashpoints can happen. Because if you look at where people get frustrated on a daily basis, um, just because, you know, it's hard to get to everybody on hold or it's hard to respond to every single person who has a complaint. If you actually look at those points in the journey first, you can be a lot more proactive about understanding, okay, we need to really focus on this, this, and this to make sure that we're ready for those rapid response moments. Because otherwise, you're caught five days later, which feels pretty late to me. (laughs) Well, right. Certainly the best way, and I think I've got a little saying, and an ounce of service prevention is worth a pound of, uh, proactive uh, prevention is worth a pound of reactive cure. Amen, Ben Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> because that is seriously, anytime you can prevent the problem, of course, that's optimal. But they're still going to happen. They're going to slip sure. through. And I think you make a great point, which is looking at the customer journey. And what we talk about is pressure points versus touch points. Yep. Looking for yep. the pressure points. Looking for that 80-20 of like, okay, where do most of our problems happen? And where do our, most of our really big screw-ups happen? And you may find that it's at two or three places along the journey. Mm-hmm. Focus there first. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we all know as customers too what irritates us, right? Like we all know that. So we we know that waiting on hold is a big deal. We know that being transferred too many times. We know that not finding a communication channel is really, really frustrating when we have an issue. And so if we know that as customers, why is it so hard to translate that to the customer journey that we provide for others sometimes? And I think it's because we often organize things based on uh, silos or departments or the org chart or operations that we think are, you know, cemented in that we cannot change. And maybe that's the case. But if we know that it's going to cause customer angst and customer effort, then we need to be ready to respond. And I think one of the great examples I've heard about is when, you know, something goes terribly wrong with a big company, with like a Fortune 500 company. And you hear about the CEO picking up the phone and calling the customer. You know, that's powerful. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the CEO, but somebody actually reaching out, there are, there are tons of studies saying that basically saying you're sorry, apologizing, using words that say, we, we don't want this to happen to other people and we want your feedback on how this happens so we can fix it. Customers will walk away feeling much more satisfied with that remedy than just getting something that's saying like, we understand that you were irritated. (laughs) So here's a coupon, which is basically, I wrote that blog post last spring break about our experience as a family with American Airlines and what happened to us with the delays and everything else. And they, you know, their social team told me, okay, you should write our customer service department. So I did. And basically they said, uh, we're sorry that the time that the uh, like time change affected your family or something <laughs> bizarre. The, but they never actually said like, wow, this 
really stunk. <laughs> like a whole bunch of people stunk this up for you. <laughs> I think the I think the word we're looking for here is accountability. Yeah. They didn't take exactly. any accountability, right? They sort of yeah. gave a generic we're sorry the circumstance was bad. Yeah. Not that our performance was bad. Not and that we was, did anything. I mean, you think about all the things in psychology when they tell you about how to make a good apology. You know, there are so many people in the world, um, I think some from the male persuasion, I'm going to say, who, uh, <laughs> who will say, like, I'm sorry that you're mad, <laughs> but <laughs> it's because you did this or this. Like, it's not a real apology. And I think sometimes corporations and businesses try to use that type of language. And it just, it falls completely flat because, come on, it's not somebody's upset they're not thinking that wow i hope somebody tells me they're sorry i'm mad <laughs> right well here's the catch in real world there's going to be a level of problem where you're going to get that language for legal reasons yeah they're going to not want to commit they're not going to want to commit in their language to having done whatever you say they did because of potential liability and pr right. liability all that type of stuff so Sometimes it is that, but the problem is, is that language gets used when it's not that. And that's the catch that people use it. I mean, companies, organizations, reps, they use it all the time because they don't want to admit guilt. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the psychology of humans and, you know, we want to be right. And, you mm -hmm. know, I think I've got the chapter in the book, you know, it's more, more not important to be right. It's important to make it right. Mm -hmm. And you've, it's a it's a mindset thing for a lot of people. It's just a pride thing and an ego thing. And you've got to know how to take accountability and say, I'm sorry, we did this. There's no excuse. Mm -hmm. And those are those are the answers that resonate. Even if it doesn't solve it with the customer, they resonate with other customers. Absolutely. Well, and I think one of the things I talk to my clients about sometimes is sometimes just end it. Like say, I'm sorry, period. That can go a long way. You're not admitting it. You're saying, I'm sorry. And they actually, there have been studies on doctors and how if they say, I'm sorry, malpractice rates actually go down. And for decades, they've been informed to not ever apologize or say sorry because they felt like it admitted fault. But they did the study and found that a lot of times people just need to hear those words. They just need to hear them. And I thought, you know, the Tiger, the Tiger Direct Canada response was very delayed, but I thought there was effort in it. Like they, they did own up to it and they said they were sorry and they tried to remedy it with more than just, well, we shipped it for free, so you should be happy. <laughs> no, I, th I think they did a good job once they got to it. I agree. I agree. But the delay was really a huge, huge issue for them as well. So here's the thing. You got to have a bunker. <laughs> no, just kidding. So one thing I'm going to say, I've got a, uh, a blog post, excuse me, called do organizational management, the doomsday preppers edition. <laughs> that sounds uplifting. Yes, it is. It's a couple of years old and it talks about a concept. And I think you and I've talked about this, that we call at CTS rule accretion. And it's that building up of rules over time that just choke your organization. So the key with worst case scenario planning is you really want to, you know, Pareto principle, 80, 20 it. You want to make sure you're not overreacting. You're not overreacting to every little possible occurrence. And that, it's a good post because it talks about, you know, the, the difference between doomsday preppers and people who are prepared are 
people are prepared or happening or preparing for things that really could happen to somebody in their lifetime. The doomsday preppers are preparing for something that's like lottery odds, like a solar flare taking down the whole grid. Yes. It could happen. Yes. Absolutely. Anything could yep. happen. Uh, and, you know, they're living their lives based around this small thing. And we do that in organizations. So I think when planning for worst case scenarios, you, it's to use a word balance. You really mm -hmm. want to find a balance between preparedness and paranoia and putting so many energy, so much energy and resources into what you're going to do that you're not going to uh, be able to serve your customers well. <laughs> Jeannie just disappeared. If you heard me sort of stumbling, Jeannie just disappeared. Like, Sorry. <laughs> she took a walk. So where are you going, Jeannie? <laughs> I, I, uh, I believe heavily in management by walking around, but still, <laughs> you're taking it a little far. <laughs> well, I think it's a great point that you bring up because there are, you know, the, the outliers of situations. I mean, when there's a big weather event, that affects customers with you know, travel and insurance and technology and electricity and everything. And I think people understand that, you know what, that's, that's a worst case scenario and they're doing their best. But I think what, what happens with these, like these things that just shouldn't happen. And you had a great story in your book actually about uh, an airline and how they, they lock somebody in a plane. Oh right? yeah, uh, Tom, Tom <laughs> Wagner, the guy uh, from uh, Express Jet or United Airlines, and he was going to uh, Louisiana to L.A. And yeah, he, they literally left him on the airplane. And first of all, he's my hero because anybody who can sleep through a plane changeover, God bless him. <laughs> but yeah, the guy fell asleep, didn't wake up. And fortunately, this happened in the age of cell phones. And yeah. he, he called his girlfriend or his wife or whoever. It's like, hey, I'm locked in a United. <laughs> and he had to convince her, <laughs> right? right? Like, okay, stop it, Tom. When are you going to be home? <laughs> so he had to convince her. He convinces her. She has to call and convince. And their first answer is, man, we sweep those planes. He is not uh. in a plane. He is. And she, like, literally had to say, listen to me. <laughs> he is stuck in your plane right now. And finally, <laughs> it took him a few hours, and they went and got him. But, yeah, and oh I, that was God. in the chapter on being abandoned. <laughs> which yeah, we well, appropriately. But, yeah, and it was I, huge. Go ahead. Well, and I think that's a great example of, well, you know, responding with our processes, they're, they're so perfect that nothing can go wrong. Like we sweep the plane, so we're good. Check. <laughs> and everything that we do is related to human beings and human beings will make mistakes. And not only will they make mistakes, but if the processes and the rules are not created around a why then a lot of times they'll start thinking they know best. Like, oh, I don't need to sweep the plane all the way because we're going to take it out tomorrow and we clean it again. So they start thinking through their own reasons instead of – and I'm not saying that's what happened there. It's just an example where they start thinking through their own reasons of why. They start bending the processes and the rules a little bit because they don't understand how it connects to the experience that they're trying to deliver. And just recently – one of the biggest papers in the country, the Boston Globe, they switched distribution companies, created a huge problem with delivering the papers. People were not getting papers for five days in a row. People who were loyal and, you know, passionate customers, they were complaining and saying, I've been a customer for 50 years and this is how you're treating me. So one of their solutions on one of the days was to send out their reporters and editors to actually deliver papers in their neighborhoods. And so, like, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists were out there in the Boston cold delivering papers, and then they started tweeting, like, kind of patting themselves on the back, saying, well, now I know what it's like to be cold and deliver papers, whatever. Hope everybody got their paper. 
and some of the uh, some of the customers responded to that really angrily and said, like, really, you're complaining because you had to do something that you promised to do and that you guys screwed up and that you were not prepared and their customer service processes and feedback mechanisms and everything were completely overwhelmed. And they even uh, admitted that they were not prepared for this. They basically said, we we could not, our customer service operation couldn't handle the flood and we were not ready. And now they're saying it's going to take four to six months to correct all the distribution issues that they're having. Holy so I think, I mean, that's like worst case scenario times 10 for an organization where their whole business is delivering content. <laughs> Not only is their whole business delivering content, their business model is dying and yeah. they are ticking off the people, the, the last customers who are still participating in that model. So that is a really, uh, that's a tough it's, hit there. It's a very tough hit. And I think they, they just were not prepared at all for what that type of change would do to their organization. So, okay. I think that, I'm going to pull out a final lesson here, and that is build a bunker, but don't live in it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to say this: if you're going to build a bunker, <laughs> <laughs> have Netflix in it. <laughs> know why you're building it. <laughs> yes, very good, very important. And have enough water. <laughs> and have enough water. <laughs> That's really what we're talking about. Have enough water when you need it. And if you're not, if you run out of water. When things go wrong, then what's the point of building a bunker in the first place? <laughs> right. Unless you're a millennial, in which case water doesn't matter as much as internet connectivity. So make sure, sure, make sure your Wi-Fi is strong in the bumper. <laughs> and oxygen is a nice to have. <laughs> yeah, oxygen is good. Okay, on this very rambling and digressive <laughs> note, we hope you enjoyed episode 85 of Crack the Customer Code. You can see the show notes for this and all episodes, as well as subscribe and send us feedback at crackthecustomercode.com. I'm Jeannie Walters. Stay current on the latest customer experience trends and insights and be among the first to hear about upcoming webinars, learning opportunities, and more at 360connects.com slash subscribe. And I'm Adam Toporek. And believe it or not, no matter what Jeannie says, I am not in a bunker. I am out there in the world. And you can connect with me and find out more about our customer service workshops and training at customersatstick.com. And until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.